Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. Hello. Everyone's excited. I'm excited. You're excited. They're excited, I hope. Otherwise, why are they here? But anyways, we're talking about the next episode of The Legend of Korra and a little little bit of a behind the scenes. I'm going to tell him, Acorn. I'm going to tell him how I lost my mind temporarily while watching this okay. episode. Okay. Yes. Yes. I had a near panic attack because the last half of this episode is so intense that it completely mind wiped the beginning of it for me. Mm-hmm. So I went to go watch the commentary and I didn't remember any of like Lynn showing up in the beginning and Brike for some reason were talking in funny voices like they did in the main series the one episode they had they pitched up and pitched down their voices and the world just got smaller for me. And I messaged Acorn in a panic because I was like, am I even watching the right episode here? I don't want to get spoiled. Boba. And she's like, yes, you are. It's fine. It was it was you're like, wait, Lynn's in this. And I'm like, Greg, <laughs> Lynn's in like half the episode. Where, Lynn where episode. have you been? <laughs> it was an interesting day. So. We, I just, I turned off for the rest of the day. It was my solution to that and, and rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. But I can't wait to talk about this because there's so many really cool things that happen. There is a theory that we had that they just flat out confirm here, which was interesting. Yep. But before we get into any of that, we have two five-star reviews that were written for, on Apple Podcast. So here yes. we go. Yes. Our first review comes from Secret Sea Bear, mm-hmm. who writes, oh and, gosh. And th- yeah. this is someone that did leave a review before. I remember this because they left their first name and I, they removed it now. I don't remember what, what their first name was, uh, uh-huh. but this is like a brand new written review. This is leaps and bounds different from the first one, at least what I remember. So we're including it. Yep. yep. Yes. Uh, Secret Sea Bear writes, deserves, oh boy, 100 thousand hundred thousand um 999 billion 999 million 999 the, the uh, hundred thousand nine hundred ninety nine i'm bad at math thousand nine hundred ninety nine point five hearts and cabbage emojis so close before we can get that half a point what do i gotta do <laughs> yep. let's get that half a point tell me sea bear <laughs> they write hey acorn and greg this is the best podcast ever Greg dives into the absolutely needed puns and voice acting notes, while Acorn finds a ton of tidbits that make you love the show infinitely more. Between the two, they come up with all the opinions, references, secret facts, and top-tier inside jokes that you didn't know you needed. I consider this podcast real Avatar content, or at the very least, worthy of Avatar Studios. Definitely recommend. Aww. That's so nice. That's really nice. Thank you for leaving that second review, Secret Sea Bear. Thank you so much. And our second and final review for this episode comes from Mineling12, who has been someone that's been frequenting both Acorn and my own uh, Twitch chats. So yes. this is awesome. And they write, which is very in line for Mineling, blow something up, all capitals. Hello, Mr. A- Mr. Okami HD and Ms. Red Dead Redemption. Uh, by the way, I am now uh, Mr. Jedi Survivor, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, Grandmaster yes. Difficulty. Uh, you, you can update that if you want later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll recognize me because of the signature title of this review. I will not leave you in suspense. Cough, Greg, cough. 
I don't know why I'm getting singled out here, but we'll move right on. Because this is Mindling12 speaking. I'm sure that you two will recognize me from yelling at you to blow something up on your streams. And if not, Greg will definitely recognize this from last Friday's stream. And then it's like a... Is that like a... Like a, like a person like uh, emoji creature. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mindling loves their little uh, character doodles. I don't, I don't know what to call them. Hope that you keep the podcast going for all of Avatar Studios' existence and a happy early summer. P.S. This show blows my socks off and allows me to watch the show with a lens as clear as ice. Keep flaming and stay grounded. Mindling 12. P.P.S. I'm not sure if you realize, but this is not the normal font. Well, yes. Mindling 12 and Secrecy Bear, thank you for leaving those five star reviews. Uh, over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, if you want yours read on the show, then you got to leave it. You got to write mm -hmm. it. I can't just jump into people's minds and Acorn just can't pull messages out of thin air and read them on the stream. They must be left. They must be written. Why is that Acorn? Because that's how the written language works. And that contrary is. to popular belief, we are not mind readers. Mm -mm. Sorry. At least not at the time of recording. Turn off at that point. We could fall into a nuclear vat at any moment. That's Who true. knows? Yes. A nuclear vat of mind readers. And then we yes. get bitten by one and become mind readers because that's how mind yes. readers are, are formed. Yep. I'm convinced. Well, in any case, let's move on for the summary for this episode. Book one, episode six. And the winner is, or as we like to call it, Best Laid Plans. Mm -hmm. This episode was written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Canesco and was directed by Joaquim Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu. We're getting better every week. Well, we joined the Firefarers in another training practice where they're using pictures of Tano as target practice. The three friends talk about their optimism for that night's fight, saying how confident they feel about taking on the wolf bats. Just then, the radio broadcast is interrupted by Amon's voice. He announces that it is time for Republic City to stop worshiping pro-bending athletes as heroes and that the previous match would be the last. He commands the United Republic Council to shut down the pro-bending arena and cancel their final match, threatening, quote-unquote, severe consequences if they don't. Concerned about their match, the three teammates go to City Hall to talk to the council. I like how responsible they are. Just like, let's go talk to our politicians immediately. <laughs> I mean, it, it was to make sure they don't cancel the match. But yeah, sure. They care about local politics. I think it's really funny that that's their... I mean, maybe it's because Cora knows Tenzin, but that's like very un-teenage-like, un-teenager-like, yeah. where it's like, let's go tell our local representatives at Town Hall uh -huh. about our issues here and make sure. I don't know. Yep. I, feel, I feel like... At least maybe it's just me as a, as a teenager. It's just like, man, that stinks. The council is in a closed meeting when the three friends arrive. They are asked to leave by Tenzin, but Korra calls upon her status as the Avatar and a pro-bending player and asks them to not cancel the finals. They are informed that the vote has already been cast and that the council has unanimously voted to close the arena. Korra challenges this decision, telling Tenzin that she thought he, of all people, would take a stand against Amon. Now, I have something to talk about because on the radio, we heard a very familiar name. The oh, Cabbage Corps. We did. That's right. Yes. Yes. So way back in our After the Last Airbender episodes, I mentioned that we were going to hear about the Cabbage Merchant again in Korra. And here we are. So here's some fun trivia about Cabbage Corps. 
It was founded by our very one and only, our beloved cabbage merchant. And it eventually passed on to a son whose name is actually a Chinese pun on the word uh, that means old man and also mister and also wild cabbage. So his name is basically translated to old man cabbage or Mr. Cabbage. Okay. I can appreciate and I don't, that. I don't know how to say it. it. It's spelled, it looks phonetically like Lao Gan Lan, mm-hmm. but I'm sure Chinese pronunciation would make it sound different. But uh, Cabbage Corp produces motor vehicles and other technologies and is actually the major rival of future industries, which means we're going to be hearing and seeing more from them throughout Cora. I do have to sit and wonder the last time we saw the cabbage merchant was in the comics and he saw the was, forklift yep. and he was like, Hmm, that looks interesting. So you got it. Yeah. Yep. That's that was be. how he got inspired. And that's how cabbage core was born. Oh, mm-hmm. I love when reading the comics comes to fruition. Yes. Even yes. if it was shoehorned in after the fact, I don't care. <laughs> Uh-huh. Tarlock replies that while he is committed to bringing Amon to justice, he is unwilling to risk innocent lives just so that she can, quote unquote, play a game. Mako and Bolin attempt an argument of their own, saying that pro-bending is what brings non-benders and benders together peacefully to watch benders beat up other benders in peace. Pro-bending matches are an inspiration to everyone and shouldn't be canceled. But Tarlock dismisses their naive idealism, telling them they're missing the reality of the situation. Tarlock readies his gavel to end the meeting, but is stopped the last moment by a metal cable from Lin Beifong to literally everyone's shock, (laughs) including mine, where I had my little panic attack right there. That was the moment. How are you? The police chief, much to everyone's surprise, sides with the Avatar. She argues that the benders of the city should display more strength in unity and that the council should have a bit more of a backbone. Tenzin cautions that such action could lead to an all-out war between benders and non-benders, but Tarlock encourages Lin to speak her mind. Chief Beifong promises extra security for the championship match that night, which is the best the city can afford since metal bending armor is impervious to chi blockers. It's true. It's a little, a little tough, you know? Getting through but solid little, steel. Yeah, just a little, a little strong <laughs> for the uh, the the finger pointing, chi blocking. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Tarlock confirms that Chief Beifong is willing to take full responsibility for the safety of the spectators in the arena and then changes his vote to in favor of keeping the arena open. He asked the rest of the council for their new vote and much to the firefighter's excitement, every council member except Tenzin changes their vote and the tournament is allowed to continue. I am so suspicious of Tarlock. Thank you. That was one of my notes. Yes. Tarlock's behavior here is super sus. Mm-hmm. Like just, just the verbiage even, you know, will you take personal responsibility? Good oh, yeah. luck to you, Chief Beifong. Tell me Tarlock's involved in some stuff without telling me Tarlock's involved with some right? stuff, you know? He manipulates the rest of the council so well it seems like they just follow along of his vote and Tenzin is the only one going kind of against this current yeah and it's a nice little kind of maybe potential foreshadowing going on Mm -hmm. um the fact that we know that Tenzin uh is very steadfast and he's dependable and he's good and he stands up for what he believes in and he's usually right 
let's face it, so far, he's usually been pretty, pretty solid. And the fact that he keeps on going up against this Tarlock and, and Tarlock is slimy, but charismatic and he doesn't really have a care in the world. And he's willing to change his vote on a dime like that after hearing not a great argument against it. Yeah. And then everyone just follows him. They're, they're all just like the fan club of Tarlock. That's probably, I wonder if Tarlock manipulated the council to get them on it and they're just his yes people. Ooh, that's a conspiracy theory. I know. I'm a little wow. tin hat going on right uh, there. So it is always possible because Mike and Brian did say in a previous episode that they had intentions to have the council members have personalities and like more of a fleshed out character, but they ended up being more just like hand raising puppets because they didn't have the time. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe their backstory was that they were manipulated onto the council because of Tarlock and he just has his, I guess, majority, really majority control of the, of the council because of that. Yeah. That would be expert tier manipulation right there. That'd be crazy. After the unanimous vote, well, almost unanimous vote happens, Tenzin asks Lynn to step aside with him for a talk. In the hallway, he warns her that Tarlock is playing her and that he doesn't want to see her get hurt. Lynn retorts that she knows what she's doing, but Tenzin insists that he be by her side that night during the match. Lynn scoffs and dismisses him. It's not like she's ever been able to stop him from doing something before. When Cora joins them, she thanks the police chief for the help, but Lynn leaves without saying a word. Cora asks Tenzin what his father did to make Lynn hate the Avatar, but Tenzin clarifies that Aang and Lynn got along famously. And it's actually the issue with him that Lynn has. Mm -hmm. Which means one thing and one thing only. That that little bit of tension that, that we, we were noticing. Uh -huh, that it's we true. Were, mm -hmm. And then that little story uh, from Pema about how she stole Tenzin away. And we were like, I wonder if it was Lynn. Guess what? It's all true. It's all true. Which Our I, shipping was confirmed. It's so bittersweet, though, for me. I, I, know. I, don't, I don't know if you feel this way. I really liked having this secret shipping theory that like was really supported. And I don't think we needed a confirmation on it. I don't think we did either. But apparently they wanted to voice it to give the characters more characterization. To Fair. make it, I, Also just to make it canon, too. To confirm it completely. I mean, we, we got to enjoy our secret shipping theory for a week. Oh, so at uh, least, least we got that. Well, it, was <laughs> a whole week. it was longer than that. I think we, we, we've been on maybe two or three episodes now. Okay, true. Because we, we pointed out, that was episode one that we pointed it out. Right? Or is it episode two? I think it was, it might've been episode one. Regardless, it's been a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. So sure, it was short-lived, but we got to enjoy it for a couple weeks. Bittersweet. Like I said, kind of bittersweet. bittersweet. You know, mm -hmm. I would have mm -hmm. maybe liked to hold on to it a little bit longer. It's still nice to have it confirmed. Cora, mm -hmm. just as we did, quickly puts two and two together, remembering what Pema told her the other day about Tenzin's previous love and realizes that Lin Beifong was that woman. Tenzin begins to explain that he and Lin had begun to drift apart when Pema declared her feelings for him, but then stops abruptly saying that it's not, of course, business. And why is he even telling her this? Uh -huh. When Tenzin finds out that Pema was the one to air his personal history with Lin, he grumpily says he'll have to have a word with his wife. <laughs> yep. I feel like that word's going to be very short-lived and she's going to shoot him a look and he's going to be like, never mind, dear. Uh, yes. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> uh -huh. Meanwhile, in a warehouse somewhere else in the city, 
Amon supervises his equalists as they load crates and equipment into trucks. His lieutenant approaches and informs him that the council has declared to ignore his warning and keep the arena open that evening. Amon is very pleased with this news, stating that everything is going according to plan. It played right into his hand. I love this manipulation from a supervillain standpoint is... Agreed. Chef's kiss. It's just like, you think that Amon doesn't want something to happen, and then he wants it to happen, and it's just... I love it. Mm-hmm. Amon might be one of my new favorite Avatar villains. He's, He's definitely good. up there, along with Long Fang. He's no Zhao. No, of course not. He'll never be Zhao. Zhao Zhao's number one Zhao. on the, the list of Avatar villains, of course. <laughs> He's in a league of his own for me. I love that man. Yep. Oh, geez. <laughs> I miss him. That evening before the match, metal bending officers comb through the arena searching for threats. Tenzin meets up with Lin, where she's overseeing the work and tells her that it would be nice if they could help each other out like like old times. Lynn sighs and agrees, telling him that she'll try to be less abrasive than usual. I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I love Lynn. I, I love Lynn, though. I also, do. this this was a nice little conversation between them. And now that we have it confirmed, that's one of the reasons I like the fact that they did confirm their relationship because this conversation gave me that slightly awkward old exes who know each other really well having a pleasant enough conversation they know each other so well that it's like you know okay let's let's try to get past our different our current differences and then she's like oh yeah like old times it just i don't know there's there's a certain there's a certain thing going on there that i enjoy it's it was realistic it feels slightly strained but like not at the same time yeah. Like it, it's very nuanced feeling dialogue between the two. And I, I mm-hmm. very much enjoy it. It's two people who you can tell grew up. It's like, what if the, the movie My Girl didn't have a tragic ending? And then like they kind of like they grew up together, they fell in love, they drifted apart, and now they're still friends in at an adult age. It just has that like near nostalg- nostalgic feeling of friendship but is tainted by yes. something. So exactly. I, like I very yeah. much like it. And I cannot wait for more Tenzin and Lin dialogues. Me too. That night, metal bender ships cover the skies while officers post up at every entrance. Before the match, Bolin gives Pabu a pep talk, telling the fire ferret that he's going to do great. The team takes to the ring where Pabu and Bolin perform a little acrobatics routine to minimal applause. It's their big uh, athletic, like, here's the fire ferret's entrance. There's supposed to be fireworks and loud music. And it's Pabu and Bolin <laughs> doing a little routine. But instead it's like, do, 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 do. <laughs> so good. Uh, then the wolf bats arrive. The reigning champion's entrance is filled with elaborate costumes, pyrotechnics, fireworks, and raucous cheers. The two teams square off and round one begins. It becomes clear very quickly that the wolf bats use illegal moves and that the referee isn't going to call foul on any of them, suggesting that he's been paid off. After a hosing foul fishy bending tricks with the fire ferrets earth coins and an illegal icing move 
The fire ferrets are knocked over the edge of the ring. Into the drink. The announcer begins to name the wolf bats the champions for the fourth year in a row before realizing that the fire ferrets aren't out yet. Cora is still clinging to the edge of the ring with Mako dangling below her. She swings him up onto the platform where he knocks Tano over with a blast of fire just as the buzzer sounds to end round one. I didn't know. Tano's so mad. He's so mad. (laughs) I didn't know they could do that. Yeah. I didn't know that was like, why doesn't. I have so many ways to cheat that game now because Uh of this like reveal. Like parkour moves. Parkour moves. Why couldn't they just earth bend a part of the arena over to catch them? I think that would be considered cheating though. But like, is you can't it? modify the arena or the is ring. It? Is yeah, it? I, don't yeah. know. I don't know. Can't they just have a earth coin like, like static shock, just catch them and they're like surfing on these earth rings. Right. Could right. Like that? levitate on, on an earth coin. I that would know. be cool. That'd be cool. And there's all these, all these ideas. Before the start of round two, the fire ferrets discuss their best strategy against the rule breaking tactics of the wolf bats. Cora suggests they should play dirty too, if that's what the wolf bats are going to do. But Mako disagrees, reminding her that if the referee has been paid off, he's going to look for opportunities to foul the firefighters as well. Unfortunately. Uh-huh, that's how it works. They agree that they have to win the match fair and square. I think this is one of the reasons why I like Cora and I can identify with her a bit more than I could with Aang. Mm-hmm. Because even though Aang has that like kind of a slight trickster edge to him, which I really like in storytelling, Korra's gut reaction to fight fire with fire is something that my brain first and foremost is like, all right, you want to do that? Let's fight dirty too. And then eventually yep. you have to come to reason and be like, you can't fight fire with fire. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's funny actually hearing you talk about how much you like Korra because I agree. It's something that I think I'm more open to this time around because mm-hmm. we've had so much of the story bridge that gap uh, narratively with the comics that I'm like, okay, you know, Cora's got some fire to her. She's that, you know, get in there and and rough people up kind of personality. And I, I do enjoy that. And I actually like the dynamic that they have right now where she's um, just as strong as the boys and just as like ready to do a great job. And they're the ones who kind of have to pull her back and be like, okay, no, we can't just fight dirty. We can't just like jump into this. Let's keep our, keep our heads on our shoulders for a little bit longer. I, I don't know. I like their dynamic. I do too. And I, I appreciate the cyclicalness of the avatar enjoying being in the limelight. Yeah. It's a very interesting. Cause we talked about this theory briefly and I think it was an avatar or maybe an egg mail. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, where there are aspects of the avatar's personality that always come back. So yeah. what we talked about was how the avatar, this is going to be spoilers, mute for five to 10 seconds if you don't want to hear this. The avatar tends to enjoy the companion of women more than men. Which could be a coincidence could or a coincidence. could not be. I don't know, but I can't help but think of that episode of Avatar The Last Airbender where Aang had his little fan group like the Beatles, like the whole uh-huh. town just chasing after him. I can't help but think about Avatar Kurik, who that was his entire personality. He's very showboaty. And the yep. direct connection between Kurik and uh, Katara, uh, Katara, Korra, 
I did it. Yep. We're all going to do it for the rest of yep. the show. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> between Quirk and Cora is like, they're very similar, what I would imagine in characteristics as well, which could be a water tribe <sighs> thing. It could be an mm-hmm. avatar thing. We don't know. It could be both. It's also why Greg loves Cora now because he mm-hmm. loves Kurok. Kurok. She's just like Kurok. And I, I, uh-huh just gravitate towards that. There are parts about her personality that I don't particularly enjoy, like how she just like, like the last episode where she was kind of stringing along Bolin a little bit, even though she wasn't really, but she kind of was by accident. Like Mm -hmm. that whole teenage stuff. I'm not like super into, but everything else I'm really, I'm really digging. And the fact that we're going through, like you said, in such a fine tooth comb now, I can really appreciate Cora and the the intricacies of her, let's say. Yeah. Um, you know, actually speaking of Aang's fan club from mm-hmm. Kyoshi Island. Um, so in the episode with the rally, we talked about the concept of foaming mouth girl mm-hmm. being a thing that they scrapped. Yep. Well, here she is. We see her in these scenes. Um, after they scrapped the idea, they recycled her as one of the quote-unquote cosplayers who are dressed up as the fire ferrets in the audience. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you cool. if you pay attention, the camera uh, zooms into a, a trio of friends who are dressed up as a fire ferrets. It's a girl and two guys. And um, the girl was supposed to be the foamy mouth girl. They used her as one of the cosplayers. Also in the crowd, we see the two girls that Tana was with at Naruk's seaweed noodle, noodle, okay, every time, noodlery. <laughs> noodlery. In, <laughs> in the episode, The Spirit of Competition, they're also in the audience watching Tano. Yeah. So I like that fact because so far up until this point, the audience has just been kind of like strangers, mm-hmm. just an entity that's out there. But now we have a little bit more personality and detail with the cosplayers, the Fire Ferret cosplayers, then also... Tano's, you know, flunkies, his fangirls or whatever. Well, the second round begins and the wolf bats use more illegal moves, including ice and illegal headshots. As a quick side note, I got super nervous when they started putting clay into water punches or whatever you want to call it, like oh water blasts. Gosh, yes. I was like, no, yes. you're going to poke someone's, I'm a, such a dad, you're going to poke someone's eye out. <laughs> it's a concussion waiting to happen. It is. Yep. The round ends in a tiebreaker, which Korra volunteers for so she can take on Tano one-on-one. The two mount the tie-breaking platform where Tano taunts Korra. Korra swiftly knocks him off the platform with a blast of water under his chin that makes his helmet go flying. And they show in slow motion how like tricky she is with it. She does like a major look and boom! And I was so, I was cheering. This is so, so satisfying. (laughs) Yep. You weren't the only one. From the sidelines, Lynn comments that it's hard to imagine that Tenzin's sweet-tempered father was reincarnated into a tough-as-nails girl like Korra. Tenzin tells her that Korra reminds him of someone else at that age and that Lynn and Korra might just get along if Lynn gives the Avatar the chance and Lynn, like, rolls her eyes. Uh-huh, like, has a frumpy moment with her arms yeah. crossed. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> The fire ferrets take the second round and start feeling hopeful that they could win the finals. The third round is fast and brutal with the wolf bats continuing their cheating, taking the third round by bending pieces of rock. Here it is within water blasts that knock all three fire ferrets off the platform. The referee names the wolf bats the winners for the fourth year in a row, even though many of the audience members and the announcer Shiro Shinobi witnessed all the cheating. 
Do you think that they've cheated four years in a row? So that's interesting because you said something before we started recording. Mm -hmm. And I love that theory, Mm -hmm. but I do think they've been cheating for a while. Yeah. I I think this is not the first. I go back and forth in my head quite a bit about this uh, because the first time we saw the wolf bats in a match, we didn't see. We, it was an off-screen thing, right? And they mm-hmm. won very quickly. Extremely, yes. I don't think they played the full three rounds quickly. Um, but it could be skill. It could. It could be skill. However... You can't cheat that quickly. Uh, if you put enough earth, broken up earth coins... That's fair. That's fair. Into water blasts, yes, mm-hmm. you could. And also, the enemy team was taken out on stretchers. They were injured. That's true. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who's wondering, my it's a little bit later. You've all watched the episode. We're just going to say it right now. My theory is that Amon paid off the referee so that yeah. he could get the avatar separated from everyone and down below, and then it would be easier for his plan with the avatar to happen, mm-hmm. essentially. Which makes me wonder. I love that theory. I love the thought of Amon. This being part of his plan is paying off the referee, allowing the wolf bats to win again to get everyone in position. I like the thoughts that the wolf bats have just been coasting on on other people paying off the referee for them. I don't know. Like either the referee has been in their pocket for a really long time and it's that one specific referee Mm -hmm. or referees in general have been paid off by different groups for them because something that really struck me about the way that they cheat is it feels so old hat. Like the way that they cheat, these are practice moves. They do them almost like without it even thinking because it's there's, it's so normal for them to fight that way. So it makes me think that they have been cheating for a long time and been enabled to do so. That makes sense. It, it could be both theories. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. Because mm-hmm. um, I also think about how Amon told Cora that he didn't want to make a martyr out of her. So then why would he, the very next time he sees her, take away her bending in front of an arena full of people? That's just asking for martyrdom right there. He could be, I mean, this could be an Iro move, you know, yeah. always five steps ahead. Everything is calculated. As the wolf bats celebrate, individuals throughout the arena pull bandanas bearing the equalist insignia over their faces in super slow motion. They each pull an electrified glove out of their popcorn containers and use them to pacify all the police officers in the, in the arena, including Chief Beifong and Tenzin. Uh, first of all, two two prominent thoughts for me in this scene. Mm-hmm. Number one, do you think there's popcorn in the fingers of those gloves? They didn't have time to shake them out fully. Okay. I had, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I was thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking how buttered their fingers were mm-hmm. going into the gloves and how crunchy it probably was in there. Um, I did get thrown out of the, the storytelling because of that. I was thinking that. It yes. It could have been avoided with one simple maneuver. <sighs> You put One, the yeah. glove the other way around in the popcorn bin. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I hate that I was thinking that during uh, this really tense scene. I know. Number two, do you think that Aang would have been blindsided by this ambush? Or not blindsided. Do you think he would have been taken out as easily as Tenzin was, I should say? Ooh. A- adult Aang? Well, we don't know much or... about adult Aang. So I would okay, say so like, Aang so is like, a kid. Yeah. Aang is a kid. Um, yes. You think, I think so? he would have. Yeah, I, I think he would have. I would disagree, but only because Aang consistently acts before thinking. Tenzin thinks yeah. before acting. 
So he notices uh. the ambush. He yells for Lynn to watch out and then it gets shocked. I think that Ang would have just airbended both of them away. He would have pushed okay. her into the enemy, taken him off guard, and she would have been able to do something and he would have been, he would have taken off. But Tenzin tried to warn mm. Lynn, which could be, you know, some of those like worry feelings that panic sets in, you know, one of your friends or someone you at one point cared about is about to get hurt or it could just be age as well. Yep. But I thought that was a very interesting way to highlight the differences between Aang and Tenzin yet again. That's a really good argument. And I didn't remember that he saw what was happening behind Lynn before things happened. Mm -hmm. And you're right. And I'm actually flashing back to, um, oh gosh, what was it? I think it was the episode with um, the uh, the rebels. I'm pretty sure it was um, one of those scenes where Aang just without even thinking, released an air blast and knocked someone back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. It was just very, like, knee-jerk reaction. And he did that a lot in the series. So I think you're right. Him seeing the attack coming beforehand, yes, would have mm -hmm. acted. If he hadn't see it, seen it coming, I think he would be taken off guard, just like Tenzin was. Yeah. Um, because also, I was thinking electricity is not something that he really worked with. I think Zuko and Iroh were the only ones who worked with electricity or lightning and yeah. um, learned how to redirect it and everything. At any point, whenever they show Tenzin, I feel like in, in moments like these, anyways, in, in important moments, for some reason, I keep on thinking about his father and how his father would react. And I don't know if that's purposeful or what, but like yeah. or purposefully done by uh, Brike, but I've, I've been enjoying that. I love, I love that assessment though. The differences between the two, they're so similar in so many ways, but they're also very different. When the fire ferrets emerge from the water, they immediately notice the blue electricity crackling throughout the audience. Before they can do anything, Amon's lieutenant appears at the side of the pool and uses his batons to electrify the water, knocking the fire ferrets out. Meanwhile, the announcer, Shiro Shinobi, continues to deliver commentary on the strange events happening in the stands up until the moment he, too, is shocked into unconsciousness and wet pants. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I am no. peeing myself. <laughs> I have soiled yeah. myself, whatever he says. Amon and his equalists take to the ring where the wolf bats attack them. But the wolf bats are quickly pacified and stripped of their bending. And it is the most unceremonious thing ever. It is insulting. Yeah, that was exactly my thought. We saw the beginning for Tano and then we didn't see anything more. And it was just, boop, they're gone. I think that's just how it works. So we've, we've only seen this twice so far, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen Aang use it and it was this big moment. It was the finale, right? So it was all yeah. this stuff going on. The screen was blinking all these different colors. It was just like nuts. And then we saw it again with Amon's demonstration. And it was this huge lightning arc that was expanding into forever that turns into a flame that shrinks into nothing. Yep. And this is just like, boop. Like pushing a button. Yeah. He literally yep. presses his thumb to Tano's forehead. Yeah. And that's it. Wow. Bye-bye bending. I really liked it. It reminded me of, um, this is going spoilers for Star Wars Rebels. If you've not seen it, sorry, we have a lot of spoilers this episode. Uh, fast forward 10 seconds. I'm going to spoil it for Acorn now. She has no choice. She is my co-host. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've showed you this before, though. Pretty uh -huh. sure. The finale with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul. It's not, uh, it's not a long ceremonious fight. It is three moves yes. and it's over. 
That's what this reminds me of. It's very, it's meant to highlight something like a a read in between the lines kind of deal. And that's Mm -hmm. what this is. And it's so beautiful, especially since Tano is the worst. At the same time, like, I don't think anyone deserves this, but like out of anyone, I mean, Tano, Tano. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I have a feeling though, that this is not going to pacify Tano's personality. I feel like he's just going to continue to be a jerk. He's going to be depressed for a long time, but he yeah, he's be. still going to be a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. He's still going to have that entitlement to him, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because then it's going to turn into, I was the greatest bender in Republic yeah. City. I was the undefeated Wolfbat leader. Like, he's going to just cling to that, I'm sure. The Equalists kick the defeated Wolfbats into the water as Equalist banners are unfurled all around the arena. Meanwhile, Cora, Mako, and Bolin are dragged out of the pool to be tied up to one of the ring's support beams. While teetering on the brink of unconsciousness, Cora has another vision of an adult Aang. We still have no context for what's going on. We just see these like these fight scenes, I guess, basically, between yeah. Aang, um, adult Sokka, adult Toph. Like, they're going up against this guy, and we don't know what's going on yet there. I don't know if I care about this thread as much as they want me to. To me, it kind of comes across as a little fan service Yeah. Because it's glimpses of the adult crew and it's another reason for existing fans of Avatar The Last Airbender to keep watching. I do think Korra has a lot to be invested in, but it does kind of feel like it's out of left field a little bit. It's a little, uh, it's a little detached Yeah. right now. I, I think they've done a fantastic job at making i'll speak for myself on this one making me care about these new characters and Mm -hmm. i feel more attached especially after the comics now yeah and i all we also still have that attachment that we're seeing not the characters we know except for katara who was in the first episode but the the descendants of the characters that we know the the kids right Mm -hmm. and that attaches me more than i think these scenes do like, this feels like a J.J. Abrams mystery in a box that I just don't want to open right now. Yeah. I'd rather leave it in a box. That's really ironic you say that because I started watching Lost for the last time last <laughs> night. <laughs> I've seen random episodes like back when it was airing. Really? I've never watched it in its entirety and I finally started it. Yeah. Oh, uh, can you guess who my favorite character is? Um, Sawyer? It's definitely Sawyer. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Got that I right. do know you. Of course. <laughs> Love that man. Are you kidding me? Uh-huh. Okay, well, back to the legend of Korra. Amon addresses the audience from the ring, noting that it seems fitting that they would celebrate the victory of, quote-unquote, three bullies who cheated their way to victory, the way benders do every day to non-benders of the city. He warns them that the fate of the wolf bats should serve as a warning to all of the other benders of the world. Any bender who stands in his way will also be cleansed of their impurity. Amon then addresses his followers, telling them that they now have the numbers, strength, and technology to create a new Republic City. He ends his speech by openly declaring that the revolution has begun. Below the ring, the fire ferrets wake up and see Pabu swimming towards them. Pabu to the rescue. Sweet little bean. Bolin instructs Papu to chew through the ropes that bind them to the support pillar. It takes the fire ferret a while to do so, and the equalists are already leaving through the glass roof when Korra is able to go after them. She launches herself into the air with the water spout, but the arena is too tall for the water spout to get her to the roof, and when she begins to fall, 
she's caught by Lynn. And she Lynn's just Spider Woman. Basically, yes. <laughs> yes. She catches Cora and swings her to the top of the arena using her momentum to launch her to the escaping equalists. This this whole thing, like I actually had a very um a very visceral moment watching this episode where I was getting that like like breathing quickly, like excitement, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is so cool kind of reaction that I would get all the time watching Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was really nice for me to have a moment where I'm like, yes, this is cool. This is great. I'm invested. Because it's, I think, the first time I've had that kind of reaction. I, w- I would agree. This whole end sequence here is beautifully done. It, yeah. There's not a dull moment. It's flawlessly executed from one moment to the next. Like, it's just brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. I also like, I don't know if this is what it's called. I think it's called ribbon dancing. I don't, not dancing. I don't know. I saw it on a, a cruise ship once and Lynn is doing it where she's just like swinging, but it's almost like she's dancing at the same time. Aerial acrobatics. Aerial acrobatics. Thank yes. you. I don't know why I couldn't think of that term, yes. but it was, was so well researched. It looked like to me, mm-hmm. I really liked it. It's cool because I, I was actually thinking about this. She's a metal bender. Yeah. So these metal cables are essentially just extensions of her form. Mm-hmm. And the way that we saw Toph metal bend in um, in the original show, it shows that she was aware of all the little impurities. She's aware of like the shape and the length and the size of everything. So it's just kind of cool to think about like, what is, what would it feel like to be a metal bender bending these metal cables? You could probably feel the entire length of it and you could like very um, accurately and comfortably attach it to things to like bend it around. So she's, I mean, just imagine being Spider-Man and having like feeling in your web. Mm-hmm. You shoot your web and you can like decide where it goes, what it attaches to, how long you're attached to it. Like, you're right. She really is like Spider-Woman. So after getting launched up, Korra knocks a few of the equalists out with firebending and attempts to get Amon before he climbs back into his airship, but is soon attacked by other equalists. Korra unleashes this huge fireball at him and he doesn't even flinch. He just walks. He walks it off platform. like nothing's there. Yep. Oh, yep. like hands might as well have been in his pocket. They, I don't know if they were. I should go look at this. That's still again. I'm going to put it on the screen right now. Maybe his hands are in his pocket. I don't know. But that's what I remember. Just a casual stroll through the casual park. Casual stroll. All according to plan. Mm-hmm. Cora is knocked back down to the glass dome ceiling where she is joined by Lynn. And the two fight side by side until they break apart. Cora going up against the lieutenant and Lynn using her metal cable to launch herself up to the airship. But shortly after Cora knocks the lieutenant off of the roof, she falls down the glass dome, forcing Lynn to decide between saving her or saving the airship. I hate that. I hate <sighs> in writing. It's literally, it's, it's Spider-Man 1, the movie. It's, yeah. You can save these people or save your girlfriend, Spider-Man. Yeah. I hate it so much, that dilemma. I know. But they're using it to show that Lynn does actually care about Cora and they will be friends. Yep. See what they're doing. Doesn't mean I have to like it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. The police chief releases her cable and dives after the avatar, catching her just in time to swing her to safety in the stadium's bleachers. Unfortunately, she has a better uh, 
fate, not fate. She she doesn't. I was gonna make a Gwen Stacy joke, but we'll move on. Okay. Bolin, <laughs> Mako, and Tenzin join them, and the group recovers from the attack and acknowledges their loss. Lin states that she can't believe she played right into Amon's hands. Tenzin comforts her by saying Amon played them all. He concludes by stating that Republic City is now at war. The end. Yeah. Was I the only one or was I immediately thinking, what is freaking Tarlock going to say about this? He's going to spin this into a narrative to talk about how Lin Beifong is the worst police chief and the metal benders are not going to protect Republic City and blah, 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 blah. That was my first thought because he was like, are you going to take personal responsibility for this Lin Beifong? Okay, good luck. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. terrible. I hate Tarlock. Me too. So slime. I like him though, but he's so slimy. He's slimy, slimy. he's manipulative, oily. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I can't wait to watch the next episode now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Acorn, who is your MVP for this episode? Lynn. Mm -hmm. Lynn Bayfong. I'm sorry, was Lynn in this episode? Shut up. Shut up. She was, and she was phenomenal. Yes, I agree. Uh, she would also be my MVP, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Uh, if I have to pick a backup, just so we're not duplicating, I would say Amon. Uh, yeah. He was pretty cool yeah. in this episode. He absolutely. He was pretty cool. I mean, it takes, it takes a smart person to mastermind your way into a situation like this, knowing what people will choose. That's, yeah. that's the key to a a great mastermind is knowing the psychology of your enemies and the people that you're trying to manipulate to know what kind of things they're going to choose. Amon is what we were missing in Avatar The Last Airbender as a villain. Yeah. For sure, the Fire Lord was like a big evil bad guy and he was very one-dimensional. That made him very boring. And he's you just know he's the bad guy and that hang is going to take him on and win. You just Uh know it. Uh, but Amon is giving us some gray area, which is what the main series really needed in an antagonist, I think. I'm going to position something. I'm curious to see what your what your thought is going to be. Okay. Do you see Amon being, in a weird way, a combination of Zhao and Longfang? Not Zhao, I don't think. Are you sure? Yeah, I don't think so. Because Longfang was very proud to a fault. Uh-huh. And I don't see that in Amon yet. He's not had any faults yet. He has that that quiet, schemey, like self-assured quality that Longfang had. Then he also has like the bravado and the confidence that I, Zhao it's a, had. It's a different confidence though. So far. Like uh-huh. we've we've only seen Amon three times. So yeah. I mean, granted, True. we're on episode six, which is by the way, we're halfway through the first season. That's crazy. That's nuts. That's actually crazy. I can see where that connection is, but for me, it's different. I can't verbalize it yet because I have to chew on it. It depends on what happens to Amon when he starts losing. It's going to be the main thing for me. If he starts going out of control and wild, then yeah, there'll be like a Zhao connection, I think, there. (laughs) Because that's what he does, right? He starts losing and he just loses control until he collects himself. But like Mm -hmm. Zhao is also a glory hound and Amon is not. He masks himself. And he says it's because he's horribly scarred, but like, who knows? I think, I mean, Amon is also embracing his fame by being a political mastermind. I don't know. He, he's getting fame in a similar way, but Zhao had his ego involved in that. And I think yeah. Amon has his agenda involved in that. Okay. Yeah. I think maybe that's where for, for 
Zhao, it's more selfish and more self-centered and it's more, mm-hmm. what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, he's basically Mr. Promotions. Like we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I definitely see Long Feng for sure. And that manipulation uh-huh. being, being able to play the political sphere and being able to like climb his way to get to what he wants. If he ends up being more like Zhao, that's not going to ruin it for me. Obviously. 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 All right. What's your moral of the episode? This one's tough because this was such an action-oriented more um, episode. So I feel like there weren't as many morals to be had as other episodes. Yeah. Um, I think where I finally landed with it though is um don't underestimate the value that other people can provide. Okay. Because I'm I'm thinking about like Lynn and Cora there mm-hmm. and how and also like Lynn and Tenzin. And also like Cora with her teammates, like don't underestimate people. You never know. They might surprise you. What about you? Cheaters never prosper. (laughs) (laughs) Or cheetahs never prosper. Cheetahs never prosper. No. That's an old school Lion King joke or reference. (laughs) So one one of those, one of those um, lines that has stayed in my head. I don't know. I can, I can quote so many Disney things because it's just has its own little, little room in my brain. Me too. As with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they won for the fourth year in a row, the Wolf Bats, and it cost them literally everything. 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 So, yep. <laughs> there's that. And that's the episode. That's your MVP moral synopsis, the whole deal. Uh, everyone, thank you all so much for hanging out with us. And if you're watching this on YouTube, who gets the episodes first? Remember to hit the subscribe button and like the video and leave a comment. The poll will be up whenever I figure out what the poll question is going to be, which I think I know Mm -hmm. what it is, but we'll see. And if you're all done with all of that stuff and you've left a five-star written review over on Apple Podcasts and you visited patreon.com slash avatar the podcast, then you can go over to twitch.tv slash acorn bandit. And if you hit the bell, then you'll know when the the live stream starts. It's either going to be Red Dead Redemption 2 Story Mode or Wild RP, which is Redemption 2 whitelisted role-playing server. Very exclusive. I love how you you combine Redemption, Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> We're about speed. We're about efficiency here on Avatar uh-huh, the Podcast. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. Red yep. Dead Redemption. Is that better? <laughs> Is that yes. more enunciated? Yes. Yes. Red Dead Redemption. I'm just going to say Red Dead Redemption for the rest of my life, too. <laughs> Uh huh. And it's a good time. And if Red Dead Redemption game or roleplay is not your thing, you can head over to twitch.tv slash booster greg on Mondays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Never on Wednesdays. Never on Wednesdays. Don't worry about Wednesdays mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Ever. He's huh. got laugh tracks. He's got uh, channel point turn ins. He's got bits. He's got fun times. Check him out. Again, thank you all so much. We appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you all know that. And we'll see you next time on Avatar. Avatar. The podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you.